I wasn't sure if I was going to tell this story, but it's just kind of funny. And it may not fully relate to, to what we're going to talk about today. But it's all about how the best laid plans don't always work out. Um, husbands often run into this. We have good ideas, at least we think we do, until they find themselves being outworked and then we realize, oh, that wasn't that good of an idea after all. Well, we got married in college. We were young and dumb and didn't know any better. And so this is one of those plans that got worked out in my young, dumb, I don't know any better phases. And so we got married. We're poor college students finishing out our, our last semester in college. And I thought, you know what? We need to take vacation together. But we don't have any money because we're college students. And so let's, let's go camping. And so I've gone camping before, and this seemed like a great idea, so I put together a plan because I love plans. You know, Ephesians 3 actually has one of my favorite words in it, administration, and it's the outworking of plans. And, and so I put together a plan that I thought was going to just nail what we were going to do. And so we, I book a camping spot about 30 minutes outside of town, and I bring my young wife along thinking this is going to be so romantic. We're going to be camping in the wilderness. We're going to be isolated and alone. I didn't think through the fact that it was a holiday weekend in October and there might be other people camping. And so we ended up getting sandwiched between two families that were coming to camp together and our spot is right in between them and they each had like 37 kids. And the shortest way to hang out with each other was right through the middle of our campsite. So after they finally went to bed at midnight, we were like able to have no romantic time. It was, it was exhausting, it was awful. I also made sure to bring dinner because I was a planner and you know, I, I brought hot dogs and that's it. No sides, I don't even think I brought like condiments, just hot dogs, no buns. They're thinking, this is great. I've gone camping before with the dudes, and I'm like, it worked out. And, and you know, I had something, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to push through because that's what you do when you have a plan. You got to just push through. And we go to bed, and I start to hear the low rumbles of thunder, and I realize, oh, I didn't put the rain flap on. And so I, I jump out of the, the, the tent real quick and hastily throw the the rain flap on and, and then we get dripped on all night. But you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just gonna keep pushing through because when you got a plan, you just keep pushing through and it'll end up in a good spot. But I learned something that day that sometimes you, you can't force a good plan to work. My wife looked at me that morning as I got ready to cook a breakfast of hot dogs. <laughs> and she said, it's time to go home. You know, and we're going to get into Ephesians 3, and Ephesians 3 is going to talk about two things. There's, there's two things that, that Paul references here, and it gives us these great little subtitles at the top of your Bible, whether you're reading on a phone or you've got the, the paper. It gives you these two little subtitles of, of what's happening in this chapter. And it's the plan for the Ephesians, for the Gentiles, and the prayer. So the reality is, is if we're going to be fruitful, we need a plan and a prayer. If you just have a plan for life, you'll end up forcing things to happen. Because plans change. So when you only have a plan, you end up becoming a forceful person. 
See, have you heard, heard that cliche that when God closes a door, he opens a window? See, we use that metaphor to help under help us like come to understanding that we need more than a plan in life. We need a plan and a prayer because things are going to shift. You think you're heading one direction, but the door closes. And so we understand, okay, when the door closes, if we will listen and pay attention, that a window will be open. But when we just have a plan in life, when we don't understand that a prayer is needed, that there's something behind the plan that is needed, we become people that when God closes a door, we go and kick it down. Because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Because I've got a plan. Because in our head, the plan is the way things are supposed to be. But Ephesians 3 is going to tell us at the end that God will do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that I can ask, imagine, or even think. And so our plans are usually not seeing the full picture. Plans are about action. And action is not bad. But action alone is not needed. We need a plan and a prayer to see our lives become fruitful the way that God has designed our lives to be. See, the reason this matters, and the reason I believe that each one of us want a plan, and the reason I believe Paul needed to encourage the Ephesians that there is a plan for your life, and it actually fits into the bigger plan of God, is because each of us long for purpose. We long for purpose. We long for meaning. It's questions that are stirring within people. And so that's why we put plans into action, because we want to see our life have purpose and meaning. We want to see that happen. And we have a picture of what that thing is supposed to be like, how it's supposed to work out. We go for those things, but we have to understand that we don't always see the full picture. We don't always see everything. Usually we can see maybe one or two steps ahead in the game. Even if you've got a great plan, there are going to be things that come that you don't understand. There are going to be things revealed. There's going to be mysteries about life that are going to come into play. And so we have to understand that if we just operate based out of the plan, we will find ourselves doing things that maybe seem good in the moment, but they're actually destructive. They actually take us off course more than keep us on course. Which is why we need prayer to be able to partner with it so that we can see the fullness of what God has for us actually come to pass in our life. See, there's a corporate context of what is happening in Ephesians 3. And then there's an individual application for our lives. The corporate context of what is happening is that Paul's writing a letter to the Ephesians, to this Gentile church. And, and Pastor J.D. got into it last week, that this was something new, that there was a bridge being built, that previously God had been for the Israelites. He had been for a people, but now he had, through Jesus, the gospel was for all people. And so there's a plan of God that is being worked out, but it's a new aspect of the plan that is being worked out. That's why Paul describes it as this mystery that's being revealed. But it's the big plan of God working out, and Paul's trying to help them connect to this is how you fit into the big plan of God. There is a part for you to play here. You have a part in this. 
Because they were wondering, where did we fit? They were outsiders, outsiders being brought into something new. And any question that any outsider that's being brought into something new is asking is, where do I fit? Is there a place for me here? Can, do, can I do something? Can I be a part of this? And so Paul is helping them connect with, hey, yes, you fit in this plan of God. Because there's a new mystery of God's plan that has been worked out, that has been revealed now. See, before we jump all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham. This was the plan of God unfolding for people. God speaks to Abraham. Let's run through the plan of God. We'll, we'll try to do it quickly because there's a whole front section of the Bible that does it. So I'll try to do it in like three to four minutes. There's this, there's this plan of God that gets worked out. So God speaks to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you in such a way that you're going to be a blessing to all the world. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars are in the sky. And they're going to be so blessed that the world is going to see me through you. And people are going to be drawn to me through you. So Abraham has these descendants. He has, he has a son, Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And they become the 12 tribes of Israel. They become this nation. And God says, these are going to be my people. I'm going to be their God. And I'm going to be like, unlike any other God that's, that's on the earth. See, other gods were made of stone and wood and didn't engage with their people. The people engaged with them. But God said, I'm going to be... I'm going to show the world that I'm different than them. I'm not going to be a God that's made of stone or wood. I'm going to be the living God who chooses to engage my people first. And the people are going to see what I'm like. They're going to see the blessing and the favor that I put on these people, and they're going to be drawn to me. It's going to be a mystery to the world, but I'm going to reveal myself through this nation. It's this beautiful thing that God wants to do. It's the big plan of God working out, and he's using individuals to have a part in it. That's what we have to remind ourselves, that yes, God is working out his big plan, but how he chooses to work it out is by taking people like you and me, and as Paul said, giving us a grace to live. A grace is a gift. It's a personality. It's a skill set that we have. It's a calling that we feel like we belong to. It's a neighborhood that we live in that we're supposed to represent Jesus to. There's a grace that's been given, and he invites us into this plan. So here we are that's fast-forwarding through the, the timeline here. You've got the nation of Israel. God's their God. He's revealing himself to them. Then, then there is another invitation that's given to somebody named Moses. The people are, are locked in captivity. And so God says, I'm going to pull my people out of captivity, using Moses to do that, miracles and signs and wonders that, that reveal who I am and how powerful I am to the world. But I'm also going to give them this law to help the people understand how to live. How to live set apart from every other nation, but also how to engage with me so that they can know me. Because remember, I'm, I'm a God that's different than all the other gods. I'm a God that wants to know you, that wants to engage with you wants to have a relationship with you. So I'm going to give you this law that shows you how to do that. It's another aspect of the plan of God unfolding, the mystery of God coming into play. Fast forward again. You've got Jesus who comes into the earth, and people were looking for a Jesus-type figure. 
They were looking for a Messiah. But he came in a way that they weren't looking for. What they were looking for was a political and military Messiah who was going to rescue them from Roman occupation. They were going to set Israel back up on its high throne as being the superpower of the world so that then people could see what God is like. But Jesus came to say, no, I actually came to show you what God is like. I came to reveal the fullness of who God is. I didn't just come to restore a nation. I came to restore all people back into full relationship with God. So he was a different kind of Messiah than they expected. He was outside their plan, which is why so many people rejected Jesus. Because usually when we create a plan, we've already decided the outcome. And when things start to deviate from that outcome that we've decided is right, we reject what's happening. Rather than ask ourselves, is maybe something happening that I need to shift into? Is something different happening that I need to redirect into when the plan is not going in the way that I thought it was going to be going? That's why so many people rejected who Jesus was and the way he lived, Paul included. Paul was one of those people who rejected who Jesus was. He rejected what he stood for. He rejected how he lived. He rejected what he said. He was rejecting because he was outside the plan that Paul had. He was outside the norm. It seems strange when we start reading Ephesians 3 for me to say that. Where Paul says, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. I think, well, how can this guy be outside of God? God's plan. Well, this is after he got course corrected. This is after he got redirected into the plan of God. And what Paul is trying to help us understand here is that we need to have our plans redirected sometimes because if we just live by a plan, we're going to try to end up forcing things to happen that shouldn't necessarily happen. We need more than just a plan in our life. We need a plan and prayer behind it because when we just have the plan, we get forceful. Let's give an example from what that looks like from Paul's life. So I would say it's going to be on the screens, but the screens died. So you're just going to have to turn in your, in your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 9. If you've got an app, just type it in. Acts chapter 9 is where Paul encounters Jesus on a road. I'm going to read the first six verses. It says, Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found anyone who belonged to the way, that's Jesus' followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, 
and you'll be told what you must do. Let's give some context here and maybe cut this version of Paul a little bit of slack, which is hard to do when you read the first lines that said he was breathing out murderous threats. But let's try a little bit. So here is this guy. He's called Saul at this point. And he's a Jew who's also a Roman citizen, who's also a teacher in the, 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 of, of Judaism. So he's like a high figure. He's a powerful person. He's a privileged person. His life has been set on a course. His life has a plan. You don't become a Roman citizen in that day without having some wealth and influence. You don't become someone who's taught under one of the great religious leaders of the day, a guy named Gamamil, without having some power, some influence, some natural ability, some ambition. I mean, Paul was like one of the top 30 under 30 young religious leaders of his day. He would have been on the cover of whatever magazine there was. He would have been celebrated. And he was celebrated. He was so much so that he went to the leaders of the church and demanded that they give him letters. And they did it. That's the kind of man of influence that he was. He was a powerful person. He may have been young, may have not have risen to that that seat yet, but he was on the way. He had a plan. And he was coming against something that he thought he was just in doing. See, Paul was a Jew. And most of the Jews had rejected Jesus because he was not what they expected. So they had rejected what he had done because that's what we do when something comes along that falls outside of our plan. Rather than taking time to pause and say, what's going on here? Let's, 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 instead of zooming in on this story, let's zoom out a little bit and see our own lives. When something is out of line with the plan that we have, your career, when it takes a turn that you weren't expecting, whether you're laid off, whether you don't get a promotion that you hoped for, goes outside the plan that you had for your life. What's the response that we take? Is it to try to make more happen? How do I know if I'm living according to a plan or living with both a plan and a prayer? It's when I think everything relies on me. When things get off course, I don't pause and say, what needs to happen? I just go make something happen. I decide what needs to happen. Or I assume that everything that is different than the way I pictured it in my head is off. And I go make more happen. You know you're just living by a plan when you think the way you expect your life to turn out solely depends upon you. When you are the master of your own destiny, let me tell you, you're not. There are things coming through your life that you cannot see. 
And thank God you can't, because they're actually bigger and better than you think. God has more for you than what you have dreamed up. God has a better purpose for you than what you have for yourself. He's got more that he wants to do in you. He's got more that he wants to heal and restore. There are broken places in you that you don't even see yet that God intends on healing so that he can use them for his glory and he can use them to help people. But you don't even know they're there yet because you haven't bumped into that broken place yet. And God wants to heal that. And so if you just live your life based on the plan that you can see today for your life, there are things that I wanted to do when I was 18 years old that, man, I'm so glad those didn't work out. Because there were some dysfunctional plans, and some of them were just silly. And my life has so much more meaning and purpose now. You know, as parents and grandparents, you know, we often see that with kids. Our kids want to do something. They want to try something. I had a kid not too long ago that was convinced he needed a gold tooth. So he was wanted to pull one of his teeth out so that he, we would be forced to get him a gold tooth. And I'm like, please don't do that. You don't see what I see. But he was convinced that that's what needed to happen. And we act like that at times. We're convinced that what we can see today is the right thing that needs to happen. See, but Paul ran into that on a road. That what he thought needed to happen was not actually what needed to happen. Paul thought he was doing God's work by rounding up people that were preaching something different than he thought. He did not think he was doing anything wrong when he did that. And it wasn't until he got confronted by the voice of God that thing shifted. We sometimes need to be confronted. Hopefully you don't have to get confronted that aggressively. But we need to get confronted when our plan is off. And we need to be redirected back into it. Because when we just live by our plan, we end up forceful. We miss out on the mystery that's taking place. We missed out on the things that we don't understand. See, what Paul goes on to say is he said, there's a mystery that's been made known to me by revelation. And I've been writing about it the first couple chapters. He's writing about it so that you'll be able to read and understand what's taking place. And here's what the mystery is. This mystery is that, so that through the gospel, the Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel members of one body, and shares together in the promise of God. So let's go back to the original plan of God we were talking about earlier. God was going to use Abraham, and he was going to bless Abraham and bless the world, and, and that became a nation, Israel. And God was using Israel to show what he was like, and his favor was on them, and he was their God. And here's a, a new element that is revealed. There's a new aspect of the plan of God that has been on, put on display now. That it's no longer just about the Israelites. It's about Israelites and Gentiles. So all people 
who believe in Jesus are now co-heirs to the promise that God has. It's a rewrite. It's a rewrite that says, hey, you only saw a part of the plan. You only saw a part of it, but now there's a new part that needs to be revealed. There's a new aspect of it. Which is why Paul is told by, by Jesus when he's confronted on that road, okay, now get up, go, and wait. Get up, go, and wait to be told what to do. Get up, shut up, and listen. I don't need you to come up with the next part of the plan, Paul. I need you to listen. I need you to seek to understand so that you know what to do, so that you know how to move, so that you know what I want to do next, because you've just been forceful as you've executed your plan. But now I want to do something different. We need a prayer that goes along with it. All right, I, I debated about doing this, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. We, if we just operate off a plan, we end up becoming forceful. But if we just live, as the old song goes, live in our prayer, if we just live with a prayer and no action, you know what we end up becoming is wishful. The reason I hesitated going here is because most of us feel like we fail at prayer anyways. So I didn't want to paint a picture of you shouldn't be praying. But the reality is we have an often a misconstrued idea of what prayer is. Which is why we feel like we fail at it and why we don't do it. But when we treat prayer like a Christmas list, hey, here's the things I want, God. I need you to do this for me. It's like our honeydew list that we give to God. And we're like, hey, go, go make this happen. But that's a misunderstanding of what prayer is actually meant to do within us. Prayer is meant to bring us into connection with the living God, where he is able to speak to us, and where he's able to empower us, where he's able to reveal to us what is off in our lives and what we need to do about it. So that we can actually begin to see his life flow through us. But when we just bring in our Christmas list and say, I need you to do these things for me. And we don't understand that when we bring even those things, which are often burdens. Let me give you a story about it. So in my, in my 20s, I went to a guy who was discipling me. And I said, Daniel, I, I just need you to pray for me because my lifestyle before pursuing Jesus was filled with lots of drugs and alcohol on a regular basis. And that's just how I lived my life in kind of a haze. And I came to him and I was like, hey, I just need you to pray for me. I still want to do these things on a regular basis. And I don't want to anymore. But the desire is just like, it feels really strong in me. 
So will you just pray that it goes away? And in his wisdom, he looked at me and goes, no. But we can talk about where you spend your time. See, because that desire was being fueled by some action. Where I was going. How I was spending my time. I was still feeling a strong desire to that lifestyle because that's where I spent my time. I spent my time at the bar. So I still wanted to pursue a lifestyle that was drawing me into that. So he said, how about instead of just praying that you get a magic pill that makes something go away, we talk about how you change how you're living. We talk about asking God to do some things in you. So that's what prayer is meant to stir within us. Let's, let's look at this prayer that Paul prays for the, for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that I've got, out of God's glorious riches, he would strengthen you in your inner being. You won't become wishful when you say, God, would you strengthen me in my inner being? Where are some weak areas within me, God? Would you reveal those to me? You ask that prayer, he'll answer it. He'll show you some areas. Hey, this is weak. You go on to pray. Okay, well, God, would you dwell in me through faith? I believe that you're, you're going to dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that as I allow these areas to be strengthened in me, pray that I would be rooted and established in love so that I can have power. Why do we need power? So that we can do things. When we partner, when we understand that prayer is about actually seeing something change in me. Not about me bringing my list to God in this scenario. I'm saying, okay, I need God, I want to see your plan work through my life. So where am I actually not equipped to do that? Where do I not have the inner authority? Where do I not have the character to do what you want me to do? Where are the things off in how I live my life? that need to be adjusted. All of a sudden, prayer become, goes from becoming this wishful thing where we're hoping something changes in our life if God drops a magic miracle in our lap to becoming something where we're saying, okay, God, you're working with me. You're strengthening me and my inner being. I'm being rooted and established in your love, meaning I'm accepted by you. My identity is rooted in acceptance not in earning favor by what I do, but I'm rooted and established in love, and I now have power to live out the way that you're calling me to live. When we are able to understand that God's got a plan for us, He wants you to realize that you fit into his big picture. The way that Paul described it is there's a grace that has been given to me. And it's my job to see the administration of that grace. That's a fun way of saying it's my job to use my gifts. It's my job to use what God has given me. It's my job to go to work. 
and use the skill sets that I have, let's boil it down real simply. You go to work. That is the administration of God's grace in your life in that arena. God's plan for your life is that you would use the gifts that you've been given, the skill sets that you have, the knowledge that you've developed over time, and recognize that you are where you're at for a reason right now. And you may not understand all the reasons. But if you'll step into that environment each day saying, God, I pray that you would strengthen me in my inner man. Help me be rooted and established in your love today so that I can have power to do what I need to do in the arenas you've called me to. I go to work. I've got skills and knowledge. This is the plan of God working out in my life. Because there are people that God wants to invite into that plan where you're at. The big plan of God all along was that he would pour out his blessing and his life upon you and me, his people, so that other people would be attracted to it and start to receive what we've been given. So when you go to work and you recognize that the administration of the grace on my life is me just doing the gifts and the talents and the knowledge that I have in the arena that I've been given, then you begin to experience living in the plan of God. And you do it with the power of God behind you because you're doing it with prayer behind you, which is what Paul's inviting us into in here. Is we need a plan and we need a prayer. Because it's hard to do that. When I go home, I recognize that where I live is for a reason. God has placed me there. We live in a culture today where it's very normal to never talk to your neighbors. I know that firsthand. You have to work at it now. Really, really work at getting to know the people that live around you. I mean, my, one of my neighbors just put up like a 12-foot high fence. And she told me it's because I don't like looking at your house. So you have to work at it. You have to work at getting to know your neighbors. But I realize that God has put me next to this lady for a reason. It is the plan of God in my life. I may not always like that plan, but that's why I partner with prayer. Because I recognize, God, there's something in me that, that needs to be strengthened in my inner being. Because you have called me to love people the way that you love them. And you've called me to live in this home. And she is my neighbor. Whether I like her or not. So would you help me? You can do it with family work, where you live, we often mysticize the, the plan of God for our life. What is the plan of God for my life? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where's your family? That's the plan of God for your life right now. Those people encountering the kindness, the love, the grace, you being transformed by this rooted and established love is the plan of God for your life. It's bigger than that too. And when you need to know what is next, he'll reveal it to you. 
especially if you're leaning into the prayer, especially if you're pushing in. The plan is not as complicated as we think it is. It just requires us to look up. It requires us to look up and say, this is where I am. Jesus, God, would you use me where I am? Would you strengthen me? Would you establish me? Would you help me to be rooted in your love? Would you give me power? And would you do more than I can even think, imagine, or see? Stand with me. I want to I read that verse again. And I want to pray for this. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. I want to read this Ephesians prayer. I want to ask that God would just do it in us. I pray that out of His glorious riches, that He may strengthen you in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your heart today through faith. I pray that you would be rooted and established in his love. That you may have power together with all the Lord's people, with every person in this room, with every person watching online. That you would have power to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of God is for you. That you would know that this love surpasses all knowledge, surpasses your ability to be able to understand. goes beyond your limits so that you can be filled to the measure of all of God's fullness, not your fullness, that he would fill you to his measure of fullness. Now God, I pray for each one of us that as we receive this and that this prayer takes root in our life. Would you do immeasurably more than we know to ask, than our minds can even imagine, than we can even comprehend according to your power? Where our plans fall short, would you go beyond? Would you do more, God, so that you are glorified and that your people are built up? Thank you.